folks, and welcome to the Growing Forward, the podcast about ethical community-based business. I'm your hostess, Bethany Latham, and I am speaking with makers, doers, and entrepreneurs who are positively contributing to our communities locally and globally as we humans grow forward. It's been a little while since I've done an episode, and I just want to thank all of you who have continued to download the previous episodes and support the show during my, it's been about four or five months now that I've missed doing episodes and I do apologize. I have been insanely busy. Much to my surprise, I kind of thought as the um, COVID pandemic swept across North America that I would find myself with uh, more downtime and free time in which to dedicate myself to podcast episodes and all that good stuff, but that was not the case. I actually ended up moving across the country back in April um, to be closer to family in Maryland, kind of DC area, and decided to start a business. So I have thrown myself completely headfirst into um, environmental harmony which is my business, and we are dedicated to installing edible landscapes on urban and suburban levels. So we're doing a lot of green roofing right now, um, a lot of edible and perennial garden design. We just did an awesome install up in Michigan. should be um, a video and a blog post on our website about that in the coming week. I'm really lucky one of my uh, crewmates It has a background in film, so she is putting together what I'm sure will be just a beautiful film about the whole process from design to install, and we're really happy with how that turned out. We're doing a lot of eco-friendly maintenance services, but just trying to bolster local food security and encourage people to have a relationship to their home and their space where they live. I just truly believe so much that growing our own food on a community level, is the most important thing that we could possibly do to affect change, both environmentally and politically, socially, you know, with down to the fiber of our own family structure and knowing our neighbors and knowing our backyard. And I think a lot of people are becoming aware of that and having the time to grow some of their own food during this time. And that is a silver lining of the pandemic. Um, And, you know, I hope that that continues forward. And so we are dedicated to providing that service and uh, help for people who maybe don't know how to grow their own food or don't have the time to do so. So that's all been really exciting. And that is my grand excuse for why I have not recorded any podcast episodes in the past few months. But check out the website. It's environmentalharmony.com. Uh, please follow us on Instagram, also Environmental Harmony, and if you can find links to all of that through my personal Instagram, where I'm continuously directing you all, which is Bethany underscore Growing Forward. Uh, anyway, on to the show today. My guest is the wonderful Jeremiah Kidd. Jeremiah is a permaculture teacher, designer, and an entrepreneur. He owns San Ysidro Permaculture in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I had the amazing experience of working with him, and he is a co-owner of Permaculture Design International. So without further ado, here we go. 
Welcome to the show. I'm so, so excited to talk to you about your businesses today. So how are, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Yeah, it's a nice spring day here in Santa Fe and getting some afternoon thunderstorms hopefully later today. So yeah, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Yeah, super busy. It's a beautiful kind of rainy day here in Maryland. Nice. Working from home today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Jeremiah Kidd, and I grew up on a farm in Oregon, outside Portland. And um, I started going to community college after high school, and then I found um, a permaculture, the permaculture design manual. And then that kind of sent me down a lifelong rabbit hole of uh, permaculture and regenerative design. Um, so I moved to Brightonbush Hot Springs, which is an all-off-the-grid retreat center in Oregon, and um, started learning about microhydro systems and geothermal heating systems and growing food in greenhouses with um, being heated by geothermal water. And we were all off the grid. We um, provided all our power with the microhydro turbine off the river um, and heated 98 buildings with um, geothermal hot water. And so that was just, you know, kind of the start. And then I just started kind of apprenticing there and learning and, and getting into natural building and then looking around for other companies I could possibly apprentice with after I was there for about three years. And I found um, the only permaculture company really I found that was also a cooperative and building green building, straw bale, adobe houses, but also doing um, large-scale erosion control and reclamation work was um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the company was called Living Structures. And so I came down and I worked with them and then um, became a partner in that, that company. And then in 2000, started my own company uh, called San Isidro Permaculture. And I've been, uh, yeah, designing and installing stuff uh, here in Santa Fe and around the region and then consulting farther afield um, since then. Yeah, it's just, it's kept me, kept me busy. So yeah, I feel blessed. That's wonderful. It sounds like a really organic journey, finding all of these different alternative techniques. Yeah, it was really good. It was, there wasn't any like colleges teaching permaculture, you know, at the time this was in the early nineties. And so um, I just kind of would take, you know, took my, first PDC in 92 and then um, took an advanced course in 93 and then took some natural building workshops and arborist workshop, just kind of piecemealing the education together with different workshops and um, apprenticing with um, um, different teachers and mentors. Yeah, it kind of just kind of all started to kind of fall in, into place. So um, it's great now that there actually is some um, permaculture design and, and um, holistic design practices and being taught at the college and university levels now. So let's pause here. And I have to explain this to people all the time, and I'm sure you do as well. What even is permaculture? Permaculture. Oh, my goodness. It's life, right? It's everything. <laughs> I, I basically look at it as a holistic design science, right? So, you know, natural building isn't new. Growing food organically isn't new. Um, you know, growing trees with with understory um, plants um, along with grazing animals isn't necessarily new. 
Um, to me, what the new part about permaculture is, is that it's really focusing on um, the design aspect of it and seeing all of the connections and relationships between everything. So what are the, the relationships between the soil and the grazing animals and the trees and the, the migratory birds and my house, you know, um, is it healthy, right? Because you could be growing and eating organic food, but then living in a toxic house, right? So permaculture just looks at kind of like all of aspects of our life, even the, what we call like invisible structures. So, you know, our finance system, our social system, you know, how does spirituality play into our lives, you know, that community aspect. And so just trying to look at our whole life in more of a holistic design sense and picture instead of just um, in more of a real focused in one area, you know, so how does my house relate to my garden, right? It casts shade on one side of the garden, a sunny hot side on one side. Um, so all of our built structures and our invisible structures all impact our lives and have our, some type of relationship um, with everything else in our life, right? And so how can we recognize those relationships and try to build on the synergistic pieces of those relationships to um, both minimize work and increase production? Exactly. And I love permaculture so much. It's like the only thing I've found that seems to answer all of the questions I have about how we can move forward as a society and a species. Yeah, it really gives some good good examples, you know, and there's still a lot of things that we're still kind of ironing out or trying or we think this works better or is more synergistic, but like, can we really prove it? You know what I mean? So there are, there are people that are, you know, focusing on that too, you know, really trying to prove kind of more the science part of it. Okay, does it really increase production with these different relationships? And, and also not just focusing on production, but also... What are the other ecological functions that we're getting out of that system? So maybe not just more fruit or nuts or something, but also, um, you know, what, you know, providing more habitat. And then those birds that come visit us are giving us phosphorus and we're giving that exchange back and forth. They're reducing the pest problems that we have. And so, so maybe not just always looking at the bottom line or what production is, but like in a more holistic sense, what are all of the different ecological functions and how can we increase those um, and make those more dynamic and diverse. And then, you know, the, the community functions on top of that, like you might not be producing as much food as a, like an industrial farm, but you're not polluting the environment. You're like offering a beautiful space for people to work and like learn about relationship to land and hopefully just finding like stacking the benefits on all different levels. Exactly. Yeah. And so diversity of like crops, but also like you're saying that diversity of like um, community functions where you can exchange with other people and get to know your neighbors. So you can be like, wow, my neighbor Jenny is an amazing plumber and, and I'm an artist so I can paint her a painting and she can help me fix my plumbing or, you know, all of those different, um, different kind of stacked functions in the community aspect where then I have to make less money, right? So if we can do more exchanges that way on an energy level or a time level, then I will have to um, possibly chase the dollar a little bit less, you know? So how did you found San Ysidro Permaculture? So you started it back in 2000? Yeah, so um, 
basically it was, uh, I was at Brighton Bush Hot Springs, which was a, a cooperative also. And then um, moving to Living Structures, um, I was there for five years. And so with, with those two, I was in cooperatives for about eight years. And so, um, and so from when I was 20 to 28, I had been in cooperatives and had that feeling of like, okay, I kind of want to do my own thing and just um, kind of not have so many meetings. I mean, cooperatives are great, but it's definitely um, lots of process and lots of uh, um, long meetings, basically. And I was anxious to kind of get more done on the ground. And so... Um, so I started my own my own business. Yeah, it just started really small. You know, at first we were just building, you know, compost bins and raised beds and stuff like that. And then I got a really um, early break in that uh, company that I had worked with previously, called me up and asked if I was interested in doing a large reclamation job. Um, and at that point I had like two people working with me. So I had to hire about 15 people and take a big loan basically to hire rental equipment and um, be able to some, do some large scale um, erosion control and reclamation work. And then that, that job, um, because that worked out well, it, it set the business up to be able to, you know, buy a truck and kind of more tools and, and kind of scale up at that time. So just slowly kind of word of mouth has been most of our, um, most of our advertising and, uh, Santa Fe has worked out well, you know, on most levels in that regard. That's a nice small community to build a name for yourself in. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, uh, well, it's funny too, because it was such a nexus of, of like permaculture design and, and teachers. So it was interesting, like how going from Oregon, I kept coming down here for classes actually, because there was, there was so many, like Bill Mollison was living here part-time at that time. And he was teaching with, with Scott Pittman. Um, for years all around the world and would live, stay here in Santa Fe part-time. And Ali Sharif, another mentor of mine that started um, um, Permacultura America Latina, um, um, did most of work in Central America and um, in Brazil. He was, they were also based in Santa Fe. Then I was in Living Structures with Joel Glansberg, which is another mentor of mine. Um, ben Haggard is here. He's an amazing permaculture designer. Um, and so they were just this real, you know, a real rich environment to kind of shepherd me as I was younger. And so um, I really give a lot of shout outs and thanks to all of the people that, that uh, took me under their wing. That's incredible. So you've uh, met Bill Mollison and worked with him or, or learned from him? Haven't really worked with him. Um, just he's, you know, he was here sometimes he'd, he would be at, he'd give a talk or you'd see him at a, you know, potluck or something, but. Quite, uh, quite an interesting character. <laughs> Very, completely brilliant, um, curmudgeoned. That's maybe how, how I'd put it. Yeah, he's the the way he thinks about thought about things was just so, um, I think, kind of unique on so many levels. Um, he really helped, uh, you know, expand just this whole idea of agroecology or or kind of whole systems thinking and and. Um, and just and spread this, you know, permaculture all over the world, basically, because, you know, David was really David Holmgren, the other co-originator, was more interested in just kind of doing um, kind of homesteading and, and going and setting up a farm and not really spreading it like that wasn't his kind of dream. And, and Bill was saying, hey, look, we have something really unique and really interesting here. We need to share it with the world. We can't just kind of 
you know, keep this to ourselves. And so, um, so he went off and uh, started teaching all over with Robin Francis and, and other amazing teachers. And so a lot of credit and shout outs to Bill Mollison. He was an amazing, amazing individual. And then sometimes, you know, also on the social side, it was, you know, we called the, so a lot of the early permaculture teachers, um, kind of those, the thorny pioneers, kind of like uh, the pioneer trees that often have um, thorns and stuff, you know, so sometimes socially, um, you know, things were, um, could be rough and and rough and tumble, (laughs) you know, on a social setting. Yeah. That probably is just born out of, you know, they're bringing this whole new way of thinking about ecology to the forefront I'm sure that they were met with a lot of resistance. So they probably had to develop really hard exteriors in order to keep doing that work. Yeah, exactly. And kind of, I think part of it is just challenging the norm too, right? So, you know, that can possibly cause some friction. So So you started San Ysidro Permaculture really organically, and then you started getting larger jobs and how did you like grow it into the company that it is today? I mean, I know you went through the financial downturn of 2008 and obviously survived that. So part of our key, I think, was just really staying really kind of efficient and trying to keep the overhead um, as, as small and efficient as possible. And so, you know, try to be really efficient with um, how we bid jobs and then how we um, roll them out. Sometimes, you know, obviously you don't make money on every job, but hopefully you at least learn something. <laughs> and so just being careful and being observant and starting small and just building small. That's another principle of permaculture is, um, you know, slow and, and taking slow and small steps. And so um, I was at first, I kind of thrown into that one big job. And so I'm glad that that actually worked out well. But then the rest of the company, we really grew slowly and we got pretty big up, you know, in 2007, we were up to maybe like 22 people, something like that. And then it was just too much. And actually it was, so that was a good kind of pruning process or kind of with the 2008 economic collapse, basically of just kind of coming back down. Okay. Let's keep it small and simple and lean. And so now we try to just keep it around, you know, 10 or 12 people. That seems to be a uh, manageable size. How do you see San Ysidro permaculture growing forward? That's a good question. I mean, we have been trying. So the last 10 years, we've been really trying to grow more in, in the kind of design and the international side kind of and, and teaching and um, implementation and design work and, and educational side. And that has a really big piece of my heart. And so I'm um, it's kind of balancing that with the local design and install side. That's kind of my long term goal is to be able to really work more into the consulting and education side personally, and then the local install side be um, either kind of a more of a cooperative or kind of employee owned or something like that. So I know you have, you're part of um, Permaculture International. Could you, could you tell us about that, I guess, initially? And we can talk about how the, the two businesses kind of function together. So Permaculture Design International is a, uh, is a cooperative that was um, started together with a group of other permaculture designers. We were all at the um, National Permaculture Conference in uh, Minnesota. When was that? In uh, 2015, I think, something like that. And we're all talking about like, wow, it would be so fun to like work together in some way. Like, how could we 
somehow work cooperatively together. Permaculture covers so many different topics in all parts of our life, right? And so you can't really be expert in everything. You know, in permaculture design, you're kind of a professional generalist. <laughs> you know, you have to know a little bit about a lot of things. But then just because of our interests and our backgrounds, we have more of a specialty in like for me, for example, my specialty would be more kind of in, in water because I grew up in a plumbing family. My dad's a plumber. Both my brothers are plumbers. My uncle's a plumber. And then moving to, to Santa Fe where it's an arid climate. And so that's the limiting factor is water, right? So that's what a lot of times people will call you for is to help solve a problem of, of something that's limiting. Here it's often rainwater harvesting or gray water systems or irrigate drip irrigation systems or flood irrigation systems, kind of like water management, basically. Permaculture designers in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, they might have, they have different backgrounds, but also um, different experiences because of where they live or what they studied in school or what they, they you know, did as a, as a job other than permaculture design. Um, so we thought, well, we could form this collective, basically, and kind of harness each other's expertise in different areas and then as projects would come in then we could either work together on with two or three other designers or say oh wow this one one designer can just take this job on because it's more about water or it's more about earthworks or it's more about um, education or whatever and so and whoever had the time to do it um, most of the jobs lately have been um, going with uh, Lauren Lud Ludnike. He's in, uh, in Santa Barbara. So um, he was one of the partners as, as well as um, Andrew Millison that's teaching a lot of classes through Oregon State University. We have done some cool cool stuff together. Um, we've taught some PDCs. We've um, consulted in Hawaii for um, kind of like what they could do on Maui, like what they could do on large scale transformation to regenerative agriculture coming out of monocrop, um, pineapple. Um, we've done some different interesting like reports and site assessments and educational things. So hopefully we can kind of keep that rolling as well. But, uh, but yeah, there's just so much interesting, fun stuff to do. It's like hard to have enough time to kind of get to everything. For sure. This has been coming up in my life a lot lately, starting a business. People keep throwing out the term work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I really hate that term. <laughs> how, do you, right. how do you feel about that? Like, what's your approach to finding balance? Yeah, it's it is a real challenge, and especially when you're starting a new business, right? Because you, at least for me, I didn't have much money to start it, so it was just like, okay, what you have as capital is your time, you know, your experience and your time, and so it takes a lot of your time and a lot of effort to kind of get a new business started, you know, unless you have an investor or someone that's just going to help hire, you know, a whole admin team or something. But usually it's just kind of building it from the ground up with one or two people. It's difficult. Like I remember as the kids, you know, when they were little, it'd be like, you know, put them to bed, read them stories, and then go back to the, you know, go back into the office for a few hours till like, you know, 11 to one in the morning and then get up at six and meet the crews and get going. So it was definitely long hours, um, the first few years. And, uh, and it's always a challenge. It's, um, you know, 
especially if you like what you do or or if you have people kind of depending on you to pay their bills, right? So it, you have this kind of like responsibility basically that, you know, but trying to have that balance of like, okay, it's time to stop office work and go on a hike or, you know, do something social with friends or something, because it's very easy to get kind of um, tunnel vision because there's uh, so much good work to be done. What are some of your like biggest challenges that you've faced running San Ysidro Permaculture and um, Permaculture Design International just as um, ethically based businesses? Let's see. Yeah. Well, often it's like choosing, you know, choosing who to work with. That's That can be one of the biggest challenges. And so, um, you know, where you, again, have maybe coworkers that need incomes to pay their bills and and so you have to be kind of open to a lot of different scopes of work as long as they don't like go against your principles or go against your ethics right but you know you want to do something really interesting and feel like the projects that you're taking on is making a difference right and so that kind of tension i think sometimes is is a challenge and then sometimes even if it seems like a very big job just having to not take it or to fire clients that are that are just not offering you something that that you feel good about basically like okay here's your deposit back like we don't want to work with you sorry <laughs> so because money is important but obviously it's not important enough to you know to disrespect anyone so i guess that's been a challenge um and also just trying to you know work in a as ethical as possible with um coworkers and with um, but in this kind of very capitalistic system, that kind of balance has, has been a challenge. And to try to be competitive, you know, pay higher wages than other places. Permaculture gets lumped into landscaping, right? And so there's so many people out there that just work out of their truck and don't have insurance and don't have um, payroll tax and all of that stuff. How can we set ourselves apart, basically, so that we can possibly charge more per hour to cover those extra expenses plus pay more of a living wage. And so trying to create a niche of like, okay, yeah, you can go just pay someone 20 bucks an hour over here, but to hire us, you're going to, you're going to have to pay more, but like we have more experience, we have, you know, insurance. So in case we smash, you know, accidentally back our truck into your house, it gets fixed, (laughs) you know, or if there's any problems and there's warranty work, you know, we have a warranty. And so, and so that's what I've been, really working towards um, with my coworkers lately is just really like, how can we keep increasing wages as much as we can without losing too much work? Basically, we're not going to be able to be the cheapest. You get what you pay for, right? So, (laughs) so. So what do you think right now is the most um, significant act that we can individually make to contribute beneficially to the health of our communities and of our lo- larger global population and family as, as uh, the world is changing so much? Well, I think one huge step um, really is just, um, and it sounds like, you know, not that exciting maybe, but it's just looking around and doing really simple things around our house, right? Often that's just, you know, insulating our house 
better, right? So it's more more efficient. You know, putting weather stripping on, growing more food around our house, um, and then again, like I was mentioning before, really getting to know your neighbors and uh, how can you interact with your community more to reduce the distance that your um, you know products are coming from, right? So like maybe someone down the street can help. Um, you build your compost bin instead of buying a plastic one online or, um, you know, going to your, you know, biking to your local farmer's market, you know, instead of even going and buying organic produce at a large, a large store that comes maybe from California. Right. So we're realizing in this pandemic how important this having our food locally is. Right. And knowing where our food comes from um, and who's been touching it and who's been, you know, uh, you know, if we can grow our own food, that's the safest thing possible, right? As much of, uh, you know, we can't, it's pretty hard to grow all of our food, right? Unless we have a homestead and we alter our diet incredibly to just eat, you know, exactly what we can grow on that piece of land. But we can, it's much easier to grow what we can and also exchange um, with neighbors or within the region of the other things that we can't grow or provide, right? We might not have enough room for a large animal. And so if we want to eat meat, then we might have to trade or buy that from someone else that has a larger piece of land. Looking at what we eat as well, right? So maybe reducing the amount of meat that we eat. Really growing your own food has so many benefits, right? I mean, it's healthier, you don't, it doesn't come wrapped in plastic. It doesn't come from a thousand miles away. I mean, there's just, I mean, you can list so many benefits just by having two raised beds and growing, even if it's only 25% of your vegetables, right? Makes a huge difference. Amen. I think that's the most important thing ever. <laughs> and another really easy thing is just by like, diversifying your landscape, right? So you might have bought a house that has just a traditional ornamental landscape, right? So what of those plants as is a plant like dies or gets diseased or or an empty space that you can fill with a plant that has provides more functions that can um, provide habitat for wildlife, that can um, produce some food either for you or wildlife, that can possibly you know, pull nitrogen out of the air and put it into the soil or um, so really just diversifying our landscapes to have higher functionality and also more food and habitat. It's you can do really simple things like that by just creating an edible landscape around your house. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's the most important thing. Do you have a favorite plant that um, you like to use that people should be planting more of, you think? Oh gosh, that's a hard one. There's so many awesome plants. I mean, for the Midwest, I think a really, really great one is is chestnuts. So you can get them in tree form, like large trees, or more like shrub form, like in the chinkapins. It's a, a great oil. It's great protein. Um, you can grind it for flour and make you know pancakes and different things with it. You can use it as um, animal feed. I mean, there's just so many. That's a really great plant. Um, What's another one? I mean, for the Southwest, we have a, you know, one of the, I mean, we have a ton that are really great, but one of my favorites is um, yellow currant. It's a great pollinating plant. 
the birds love it. The fruit's big enough to, you know, that you can harvest a lot off of just one plant to dry or to make jellies or to eat just fresh. And it's fairly drought tolerant. So that's one of my favorite plants. What's another one? Nanking cherries are another one of my favorites. It's not native to the Southwest, but it's very adaptable from wet climates to to arid climates. Um, And that one comes from Asia, but a really nice shrub cherry and um, beautiful flowers. Um, um, And another one really is daylilies. I love daylilies. They're really, they're so diverse in that there's, you know, dwarf ones that are only eight inches tall. And there's some varieties that get up to four feet tall. They come in lots of different colors. You can eat the flowers, you know, just in salads. They're very sweet. Or you can use the um, the bud before the flower opens as, you know, kind of like a squash blossom. So like stuff it with cheese or with meat and tempura and fry it. Um, in Asia, they put the, the buds in, in stir fries. In Africa, they often eat the roots. So it's kind of like a tuber root. Um, it's fairly drought tolerant. Um, Super beautiful, just landscape-looking plant, but with lots of different functions. And so um, those are just a few that, that I really like. Thank you. Those are all excellent plants. So my next question, what is most important to you, and why is that of value? What's the most important to me? Hmm. What's most important to me is really um, trying to merge what my life's kind of mission or goals are um, and overlaying that with being a good planetary citizen as well as a good friend and um, family member. Um, That's for me, I think what my kind of highest goal is basically is like, how can I, how can I serve my community and the world? And at the same time, be also serving my family and getting to uh, getting to what I feel is kind of like my life's mission or goal of like spreading sustainability or spreading regenerative um, design methodologies or ideas, right? And so kind of how can I merge all of that together? The most important thing would be just a good planetary citizen, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> how can I do less harm than good basically <laughs> on a on a local and planetary level right it's like the ultimate question that permaculture answers I right think. yeah that's a that's a that's a tough one threw me a curveball i mean i was thinking of that the other night it's like okay how can how can we shift the paradigm to where humans are actually a a benefit to the world right instead of cutting down forests and causing, you know, mass extinction of from all the way from insects to large mammals. Like how can we be a part of, how can we increase the, our value basically? Like why should, why should we even be be here? Right. Besides the creative aspect or the community aspect, right? Because the world would do fine without us here. Right. But the world doesn't do so fine without a lot of key mammals in the system right because then there's you know the whole food chain starts breaking down how can we be more of an ecological function than just more uh, kind of on the creative side of things right the design and creative side so 
create more of those circular systems in society, not not the linear like mining a raw material and then using it once and then disposing of it, right? How can we really start bending that one one dimension arrow into a circle, right? How can we create more of these uh, these closed loop systems? And so I think that's you know that's our new challenge, you know, on so many different levels. It's just how can we make ourselves relevant besides just being a negative impact on the world, right? How can we create those circular systems? Hopefully I can be a small part in that. Absolutely. We can't underestimate the power that our voice has and the ripple effect of change that comes out of um, like you teaching a PDC or doing this podcast. It's necessary right now that people as a collective society and as a species, we step forward and prove that we are truly sentient and capable of empathy for other species and capable of like reverence and respect for our planet and like take on our role as the icy humans as being designed for design and for like intelligent caretaking of the planet you know we can do it in a, in a beautiful way and permaculture offers so many solutions um, to where you can have you know the larger footprint you have the better if if your footprint is the, these like integrated whole scale systems that are providing benefit to all of the different you know elements of the planet and uh, that they're coming into contact with right exactly and so i think that's like that's key what you said is really just um coming back to that design part right so how can we how can we design our lives so that we're actually a benefit to the planet instead of a detriment? And so, um, you know, just for an example and just changing our ways with grazing, right? So you could have animals and just let them go wherever and have selective grazing and they just, you know, preferential grazing, they eat whatever they like the best. And then you lose that whole, you know, species of plant on your ranch. And then your, you know, your soil health starts declining. Or you could actually do rotational grazing and holistic range management and really um, manage the animals in a way that kind of mimic wild animals, right? So like mimic the traditional patterns for millions of years by, um, by animals. And so, and then actually be building the soil and building the carbon um, and actually sequestering as much or more carbon than forests do if, if, uh, you know, a prairie is, is managed well, right? And so that's kind of an example of how we can use our design sense and our observations and um, to actually benefit the planet and benefit the soil instead of degrade it. Sure, that's a perfect example. Because they're such polar opposites. Like industrial cattle farming is the most horrible thing for the environment. And regenerative agricultural ranches are like the best thing for the environment. Yeah, I mean, you can incorporate animals in the system in a way that make, you know, that that really, like we were talking about, closes those loops, you know, and turns turns a circle or turns an arrow into a circle. So what is your um, required reading, podcast, book, YouTube channel for our listeners? Hmm, I like to read a lot of different stuff just because... Um, kind of doing permaculture all the time or, or a lot of the time. Uh, 
I kind of have to get my head on different in different areas or just to kind of also get that diversity. Right. So um, I read a, a lot of just kind of mainstream magazines as well, like National Geographic or, you know, science magazines, um, um, Smithsonian magazines. Um, you know, you have a great podcast. Also, I think the, the permaculture podcast is good. You know, Scott Mann covers um, a lot of different areas and has had some great people on. Let's see, YouTube, Mariah Gamble. She's really amazing and has a lot of really good information and has made it um, really accessible to people. Um, like Maddie Harland from um, um, Permaculture Magazine in the UK. Her and Tony, they're they're amazing and they've been putting that magazine out for years. Very high quality magazine. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of publications out there, and then also, yeah, just just be curious, right? Whatever you're really into, just just dive in, and and um, it will relate to permaculture or to a more regenerative uh, lifestyle. What song is your favorite jam right now? I know you are a huge music lover. Yeah, gosh, I don't know. Let me see. Well, if you're interested in that, I'm on a podcast. It's an indie music podcast called Will's Band of the Week. And shout out to um, all my peeps on that. We're uh, based in uh, Wisconsin, New Mexico, um, Canada, the UK, Australia. And we kind of trade off and just um, talk about fun new music that we like and then we just did our best of the decades um over the last couple of weeks i guess my new the newest thing that i'm kind of obsessing on right now is this amazing kind of kind of synth wave band from belarus and they're called molchat doma um, m-o-l-c-h-a-t-d-o-m-a and kind of 80 sounding new wave synth synth pop kind of um, but with a dark side. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my, my new favorites. Will's band of the week. Dot net. Yep. And we're on, uh, um, you know, Apple podcasts or um, wherever you can find your podcast streams. Awesome. I'll put a link in our show notes to that as well as links to all of your contact info. And so what is an ethically based business idea or initiative that you probably won't do yourself that you would love to see someone else start? Hmm. That's a good question. Let's see. I think that Santa Fe or where I, where I live here in Santa Fe, like um, definitely someone could start a more, a real local kind of bike pedal powered um, composting service. So picking up people's compost and um, our city doesn't take curbside compost. So that's kind of a, a niche to be filled. I know there is a place called Reunity Resources and they do it on a kind of a, um, for restaurants and you can bring your compost there. But for some people that don't know how to compost or don't aren't interested in that, some kind of like a curbside composting thing that someone could collect with um, bicycles. I've seen there's a company back east that does that. Just this bicycle-based businesses, you know, deliveries with bicycles, um, which is a little harder in the West because things tend to be more spread out than the East Coast, right? Any way we can reduce the amount of driving and gas that has to be used in, in order to run a landscaping design business is great. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And then, um, you know, we had like when the first the biofuels started coming out, we ran all of our diesel trucks with biodiesel and things like that. And then 
then we realize that like, oh, a lot of the biodiesel is actually just made from corn. That's GMO corn. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's really a challenge to find kind of a clean, clean way to run a business that's bigger than just one or two people with a, a few tools. Right. So, but I know in a lot of cities, you know, back East or in Europe that people do offer those services, you know, with trailers on their bikes to, you know, carpenters and things like that, that they can just take all their tools and um, on a bike, you know, even if it's some power tools or something, if they have a trailer. Yeah. So that hopefully people will kind of build on that trend. Agreed. So how can people get in touch with you to take your PDCs to uh, book you for consultations? Yeah. So the, um, let's see, the website is um, sipermaculture.com. And uh, also on Facebook, you can search for San Isidro Permaculture. You can also go at um, permacultureinternational.com, permacultureintl.com. And so, yeah, come join us. And uh, even if you can't join a class, like uh, hopefully we can all just kind of share and and uh, and learn from each other, you know, online or, or in person. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been so wonderful talking to you and getting your perspective on all these things. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thanks for doing this and and uh, and just your interest in, in all of these topics. It's really inspiring. And so I look forward to watching your career blossom. I'm excited. Thanks. Okay, take care. You too. Bye. Okay, bye. Amazing. Jeremiah is such an inspiring person. I'm so, so grateful that he took time out of his day to do the show. And thank you all so much for taking valuable time out of your days to listen to Growing Forward Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you are feeling inspired. Everyone out there listening, just know you have the power to affect change. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It really helps the show to appear in searches, which in turn helps my guests to spread their amazing motivational messages. If you'd like to contact me, you can find me on Instagram at Bethany underscore growing forward, or you can email me at growingforwardpodcast at gmail.com. I'm on YouTube, which now is Growing Forward with Environmental Harmony, my business, and of course, you can also find me through environmentalharmony.com. Um, Facebook, we have an Environmental Harmony page now. I probably will not make a separate Facebook page for the podcast because I just really don't want to involve myself in social media to that extent. Um, but I'm going to continue to promote the podcast through Environmental Harmony. And you can find all the episodes on environmentalharmony.com website. We do have a just a podcast specific page um so thank you all i hope you stay tuned for the next episodes and that everyone is staying safe and spending time with their family and trying to start some seeds or grow some food um, it's almost time to start planting our fall gardens um, yep thank you so much summer Bye. save me all the structures of my time are insecure with false foundations and I look for truth and find the views obscure without borders in 
our minds could we make peace with our 